Good morning. So this morning we're going to read, if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, if you want to set that up there, we're going to read Zechariah chapters 12, 13, and 14. So you can go ahead and get that ready. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples uh, with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves. And they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not pass, uh, surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look upon and when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Rimon in the place of Megiddo. <clears throat> The land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. On that day there should be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants inhabitants of Jerusalem, to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet, I am a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. <clears throat> Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones 
In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the city shall not, shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations, as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives that shall be split in shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall, be, shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in those days of Uzziah the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day, there shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time, there shall be light. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be taken over all earth, all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the, of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all his peoples that wage war against Jerusalem, all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that each, each will seize the hand of another and the hand of one will be raised against the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beast may be in those camps. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. And if any families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of the hosts, where there will be no rain, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be a plague, the plague, with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to, the, to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. And on that day, there shall be an inscribed, on, there shall be 
inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord, and the pots in the houses of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the, the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Father, we thank you for, for who you are and what you've done for us. That you sent Jesus so that you could move your people from, from a state of, of, of darkness and, and brokenness to a, a place of, of light and, and favor and blessing, that, that we can actually have joy because of what you've done for us. We pray that as we, as we look at the, the last few chapters of Zechariah this morning, that, that you would send your spirit to, to help us together to, to benefit from your word, to be encouraged and challenged and, and convicted, to, to have our affections stirred up for, for who you are and what you've done for us, and that you would help us by your spirit to respond rightly to your word um, and, and to fellowship well uh, together as a body. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, Zechariah 12 through 14. That means that we have today's sermon and then just three more chapters left in the Minor Prophets. So, we've, we've, we've made it. Well, we've almost made it. But today we're, fin- we're wrapping up Zechariah. And so, in, in these chapters... Zechariah's focus is on what's going to happen in the future. And so you, you probably heard it as the Morrisons read, but the phrase on that day uh, occurs 16 times in these chapters. Like he's saying like on that day, on that day, on that day, on that day. And he's talking about this, this future time when God is going to take action on behalf of his people. And so there's this, this progression as we move through these chapters. So at the beginning, in, in chapter 12, he's, he's talking about these nations that are encamped around Jerusalem. And then towards the end of chapter 14, he talks about the nations coming to worship God in Jerusalem. So there are things taking place to, to bring some of the nations, at least, from being God's enemies to being his people. Uh, and so from a high level, there's, there's these kind of two, two main focuses of these chapters. In the first two chapters, he's focused on God restoring his relationship with his people. And then in the last chapter, he's talking about kind of God's relationship with, with the rest of creation, those not currently his people. So the first thing we see in, in chapter 12 is that it begins by telling us that this is an, an oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. So God is, is giving Zechariah this picture about the future that's going to affect his people, Israel. And notice the first thing he says is this, Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. So God is, is talking here about the fact that, that he's the creator. He's, he's the one who, who made everything, like kind of in general and specifically, he's the one who, who made human beings. He, he formed us. He formed our spirit. And he's talking about this because he's establishing his, his credentials as the creator because he's about to do this new work of creation on behalf of his people. So the first thing he's going to do is he's going to make Jerusalem a, a cup of staggering. 
They're going to be an agent of, of God's judgment against the nations. So the nations are going to gather against Jerusalem, but they're actually only going to hurt themselves. It says that God is going to strike the horse with panic and the rider with madness. God is going to keep his eye open, but he's going to strike them with blindness. And the result of this protection that he's giving to his people is that they're going to realize that they have strength from the Lord. They're going to realize that God is kind of empowering them against their enemies. It says that he'll make them like a, a blazing pot and a, a flaming torch. They'll, they'll devour the, the surrounding people while Jerusalem itself remains inhabited. It says that salvation is going to come to the tents of Judah first and that Judah is going to have the most glory. It says that God is going to protect the people so that even like the, the, the weakest and most feeble and frail among them are, are like David. They're going to be like the mighty men of old. It says that the house of David will be like God going before the people to lead them. And God is going to seek to destroy all the nations that come against them. So God is kind of empowering and raising his people up in the face of their enemies. He's going to take down their enemies. But starting in verse 10, the subject shifts. He says that he's going to pour out a spirit of, of grace and pleas of mercy on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So God is going to kind of pour out his spirit on them, spirit of grace, pleas for mercy. And the result of this outpouring of grace will be that they, the people, will look on God, whom they've pierced, and they'll mourn. They'll mourn as people mourn for, for an only child, for, for a firstborn. It says that, that everyone is going to mourn. They're all going to kind of mourn in their own ways, and the mourning is going to be even greater. And then he, he makes that reference to, to Megiddo, the plain of Megiddo. That's the place where King Josiah died in battle. So this beloved king died, and the people mourned his death. And he's saying that this mourning, on behalf of God, who, who they're, they're going to pierce, they're going to mourn as an only child. This mourning is going to be even greater than it was for King Josiah. Next, at the beginning of chapter 13, we find out that resulting from this, you know, this mourning, this firstborn's death, is that there's going to be this fountain. This fountain is going to be open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So there's this fountain that exists. It kind of comes out of this time of mourning. And the point of this fountain is to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Next, he tells them that he's going to cut off the, the idols from the land. He's going to cut off the false prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. He's going to, as he gets rid of these idols, he's also going to get rid of the people that kind of promoted the idols in the land. These false prophets. Parents are even going to put out, pour out justice on their own kids if, if they turn to idols. It says that false prophets are going to, are going to live in shame, right? They're going, to, they're going to lie about who they are. They're going to say, I'm just a farmer. I, I don't actually have these visions. And then the last three chapters of, of, of chapter 13 says that the Lord is going to strike his shepherd. The shepherd who's, who's next to him and, and the sheep are going to be scattered. But even though many people are going to be cut off and will perish during this time, it's going to have this, this purifying effect on the people of God. They will call upon him and he will answer. They'll say, he's my God and he'll say, they are my people. And then in chapter 14, the focus shifts 
to the nations. It's been on the people of God, but it shifts to the nations. It says that the, the spoil that they've taken from Jerusalem, it's going to be returned to his people, but first they're going to gather against the city to harm the people. Half of them are going to go into exile, but then the Lord is going to go out and fight for them, and there's going to be this, this great kind of cataclysmic earthquake. People are going to run from it. They're going to run from it like they ran from the earthquake in, in King Uzziah's day. But the Lord is going to come, and he's going to bring his holy ones with him, it says there'll be no light, no cold, no frost. It's going to be this, this unique new kind of day. Not, not day, not night, but, but there's going to be light in the evening. It says that living waters will, will flow out of Jerusalem all year long, and the Lord is going to be king over all the earth. It says all the land. He talks about all these kind of boundaries in the land. All of it's going to be inhabitable and inhabited. There's no longer going to be any threat of destruction. The people will dwell in safety and security. God is going to strike all the nations that try to wage war against his people. So he's, he's protecting them again. He says that those who come against Jerusalem, their, their flesh is going to rot. Their, their eyes will rot. Their mouth will rot. And even though it's, it's kind of gross to think about it, and it's, it's terrifying and, and severe, this, this description of this, you know, their, their flesh rots while they're standing on their feet. Their, their eyes rot in the socket, the mouth, or the tongue rots in the mouth. I think that what this is trying to communicate to us is that this, even though it's gross, is a, a torment that they experience consciously. This isn't, this isn't a fleeting thing. God is pouring out judgment on them, and they, they experience it, they feel it, because they're rebelling against him and rejecting him as king. Naturally, because of this plague that falls, there's this great panic. And because of that, kind of all the wealth streams into Jerusalem in great abundance. A similar plague strikes the livestock. But in verse 16, there's, there's some survivors from the nations. And, and they go to Jerusalem. They, they worship the king there. They worship the Lord of hosts. They, they celebrate the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths was this, this celebration that Israel did together to, to remember the time that they journeyed through the wilderness to the Promised Land. So they're, they're, they're looking back on the time when they weren't in the land, and they're celebrating the fact that God brought them to the land. Now, Zechariah sees that these people from the nations are going to celebrate this festival with them. Right? They're going to celebrate their own journey from, from out in the wilderness to part of God's people and, and inheritors of his promise. He says that those who don't make this choice, who don't worship the Lord, they're going to experience the same plague as everyone else. Verse 20 tells us that on that day, holy to the Lord, it's going to be inscribed on, on the bells of horses. This is something that was written on, on the, a part of the priest's clothing. He also says that, that cooking pots, just like regular old cooking pots in the temple, are going to be like altar bowls. In fact, he says every cooking pot in Jerusalem is going to be holy to the Lord. So, so any pot is going to be suitable for, for offering a sacrifice. And the, the, the chapter ends, the, the book ends by saying that there won't be any traitor in the house of the Lord. His point here with these last few things is to tell us that, that the whole city, all of it, everything in it, all the things in it, is going to be holy to the Lord. Right? It's going to take part of and experience things that, that before only, only specific people and specific things in the temple got to, to have that status of holiness. Now everything and everyone is going to have it. God is going to make it all holy. This is the future that God has in store for his people. 
He's going to protect them. He's going to empower them. He's going to strengthen them. He's going to conquer their enemies. He's going to save some of the people from the enemies. And then they're going to be in this new place where God is king over everything and everything is holy. Everything is set right. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. So there are, there are, there are two main things I think we should take away from this. As we, as we finish out the book of Zechariah, the first thing that we should see, and, and hopefully as we went through this, you were like, why is he skipping over this? Why is he skipping over this? Why is he skipping over this? The first thing is that so very much of this passage is, is pointing forward to Jesus. Now that's obvious, right? Because that's, that's the job of the whole Bible. So really, we could, we could say that about any passage we're in, but, but this one in particular. He says that, the tribe of Judah is going to surpass the glory of all the other tribes. He says the house of David is going to lead the people like God leads the people. He says that God himself is going to be pierced. He says that people are going to weep over him as you would weep for an only child. He says that his piercing and his death will result in a, in a fountain for, for cleansing sin and uncleanness from the people. He says that the shepherd who stands next to God is going to be struck but the end result of that is that they will once again be his people and he will once again be their God. So there's this, this king who will be like God, who's connected with the house of Judah and connected with the, tri- or the, tribe, the, the tribe of Judah and the house of David. Also, God himself is going to be pierced. But he's also an only child and, and a shepherd who's in close proximity to God. And all of this is going to result in in God's people being cleansed of their sins and brought back into relationship with him. Zechariah doesn't realize it, but God gives him a, a pretty fantastic glimpse of Jesus. Jesus came, a descendant of Judah, descendant of David, born of a virgin as the son of God. He's the good shepherd who's, who's at God's right hand, who, who lays down his life for his sheep. And his death made a way for us to have our sins forgiven. His death made a way for us to have our relationship with God restored. Because of him, God can, can actually be our God and we can actually be his people. And Because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done, God has given him the name that's above every name. Right? He has the greatest glory. So the first thing that we should definitely see in this passage is Jesus. Because even though he doesn't realize it, that's what Zechariah is seeing. The second thing we should see is, is what the people do. At the beginning, I talked about how the, the focus of these chapters is on God kind of restoring his relationship. For the first two chapters, he's restoring his relationship with his people. In the last chapter, he's restoring his relationship with, with the nations. But what we can't miss is that in, in chapters 12 and 13, in these chapters that are focused on God restoring his relationship with his people, is that he is the one who is kind of doing everything. He's the one who, who's, who's taking action. The focus is not on, on what the people do. And that's important because I, I think when we think about what God, when, when God restores his relationship with it, there's like this, this laundry list of things that we must do to have our relationship with him restored. But in these chapters, as he's doing this for his people, his people who, who are broken and rebellious, who have missed the mark time and time again, what we see is God taking action to bring his people back. 
Right? He's the one who's, who's upholding the covenant. He's the one who gives strength to the people. He's the one who, who gives salvation, who, who protects them, who destroys the nations, who's pierced on their behalf, who pours out a spirit of grace and mercy, who, who opens a fountain of forgiveness. He's the one who, who cuts off the idols and cuts off the false prophets. He's the one who strikes the shepherd and scatters the people. What we see in chapter 12 and 13 is God taking action to go to great lengths to bring his people back and restore his relationship with him. Chapter 13 ends with God saying that, that they're his people and that he is their God, but the reality is that he has been demonstrating that all throughout these chapters. He's been demonstrating that all throughout the history of his interactions with them. Even in chapter 14, where he's talking about how he's going to restore his relationship with, with the rest of creation, God is the one who's taking the action. He, he gathers the nations. He goes out and fights. He sends the plague, and he reigns as king. The survivors do take action, though. What they do is they worship. Right? They, they respond to who God is and what he's done in worship. They go to him and they, they praise him for what he's done. What we see in this passage is that God consistently takes decisive actions to, to love and care for and save his people. He brings us back. He keeps us. He cleanses us. He forgives us. He protects us. He gives us his spirit. He sends us a savior. He removes our enemies. He provides for us. He makes us holy. He does all of it. We, like the nations, respond in worship. We, we, we praise him for what he's already done on our behalf. That's our role. That, that's our responsibility. We, we, we turn to him and draw close to him in worship. So let's do that together this morning. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we continue in worship together, as we get to fellowship together afterwards, we get to celebrate, we get to worship God together for what he's already accomplished on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your son at exactly the right moment in history and in exactly the right way. That you kept all your promises to your people. You sent them a redeemer born in the tribe of Judah, born in the line of David, who would reign over us as king. You sent us a shepherd who would be struck as he laid down his life for his people. And that because of what you've accomplished on our behalf, we can have our sins forgiven. We can be brought back into relationship with you. We can move from death to life, from enemies to sons and daughters. We pray that you would send your spirit 
so that we can respond well, so that we could worship rightly in response to what you've accomplished on our behalf. Father, we thank you that you didn't leave the nations out of your kingdom, but that you let us come in and worship. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.